You know the phrase, sometimes you have to lose yourself to find yourself? That was the case for two queens in the afterlife. Well, an empress and a queen who both had to completely forget their earthly royal origins before being able to truly know themselves and from that knowledge be led to true love. Here we are inside Off the Left Eye. Stick around for my exclusive interview with Curtis Childs, director of Off the Left Eye, where we discuss how healthcare systems reflect God's love. Next, Dr. Jonathan Rose, series editor for the New Century Edition translation of the theological works of Emanuel Swedenborg, leads us on an investigation into intended manuscripts of Swedenborg's which never were written. And as an extra treat, we go to the year 1761 to learn where Swedenborg was and which spiritual weddings was he attending this week in history. Hey, Curtis, welcome back. Hey, Chelsea, great to be here again. Yeah, and this past week has been exciting. We've been exploring on the YouTube channel um, John 316 in our Swedenborg and Life show. John 316 does not conflict with a God that loves everyone. Yes, and who who wouldn't think exploring a Bible verse is exciting? Just on my morning walk this morning, I passed it. I literally passed it maybe twice in my neighborhood, like people just having that on there. What? Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, like a I, I do. Sign? Yeah, and then one was a church, but it was like you know that was <laughs> that was what they were wanting to put out to the world, but because it's such a core Christian teaching, and so it needs this attention, and especially you know to understand that there's a way that that verse wants to help people, not like exclude people, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, if you if we should print out a lawn sign like an addendum lawn sign and put yes. it right next. Because it could be that that person means it like that, but the next person will see that. Go go watch our show and, and uh, come away yeah. with an even more joyful grasp of the importance of that verse. Exactly. So I'm, I'm going to print a sign that says, John 3.16 does not conflict with a God that loves everyone. That'll be good. S- like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. YouTube.com slash off the left eye. Okay. And so, uh, so yeah, this week... Um, You know, after with every Monday show, we put a reflection question out on Thursday. But our reflection question for the week, which people can find on Facebook uh, or the community tab on face on YouTube um, or on Instagram or Twitter. And it goes like this for this week. But what are ways that you have seen God's love manifesting in earthly life? And that's a nice question because it's it's wondering, you know, I mean, I love that question because you can ask it of anybody and you're going to get an answer. You're, you know, like there's God is trying to work to connect, um, you know, to each of us in love. And and when you start putting the presence of God as the same thing as love, you really start to get somewhere. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, right. So, so, yeah. Do you have any ways? I do have a way. OK, I would say in the emergency room. So mm, I actually that's went quite there. quite a place to meet God. Yes. Yeah, I went there yesterday. Um, luckily, <sighs> everything's all right, you know. Um, yeah. And um, but I, it was something I just you know that was ne- needing attention. And yes. I, when I was in there, because I've been struggling with uh, sort of a, a health thing for quite a while, and there's like the actual discomfort from it, but there's also a lot of concern on my part about what is it? What does it mean? That right. sort of thing. What is it? Yes. Is there something else going on? Yeah, totally. And of- as soon as I got in there and they like put a bunch of sensors on me and stuff, I just felt like I love this. Yes. 
they are they are checking me out. You know, they are yes. going to figure out what's wrong. I mean, we didn't come away with anything conclusive from there, but we ruled out some stuff, which was great. Which is and so comforting. Yeah. Uh-huh. To me, I just felt like, you know, even even right, it's the it's a hospital in the pandemic. It's all this stuff, but yes. I just felt like this is a this is a beautiful thing this place where they can look at you and figure out what's going on man i have literally been brought to tears walking into hospitals in the past because of how overwhelmed i am with a sense of this is such a beautiful system you know like that that this is the way heaven works you know it's just everybody playing their part working together wanting to help this one person you know like just the the point is help the person in front of you you know do the best work you can and and i just I just feel like that's palpable, that that vibrancy of love when I, you know, in hospitals are not always, you know, it's not where you want to be spending your time. But I'm just so touched with that whenever I end up being in a space like that. So I just I totally get what you mean. And the people that are working there, it's not like they're they're like head over heels for me or anything. They're just like right. they've, they've done this to 100 people today. I even asked yeah. like when they took my blood pressure uh, in the beginning and I was getting wheeled out somewhere and, and I was like, hey, was my pressure good? And he's like, I think so. I didn't. I don't remember it being anything crazy. So yeah. It, it's like, so it's not like because the people were all they were. And no, that guy was nice. I liked him. It wasn't because the yeah. people were so. Lo- but I just loved like there's there's angels around it. You know, just the, exactly, exactly what you're saying. This system where we are going to heal the form of heaven, which is the human body. Yes. I I second that, and I feel like that's going to be my answer too. Because I even was recently. I don't know what made me think about it but I was thinking maybe I'm reading a book right now that talks about sort of surgery in the 18th century and um (laughs) and realizing like wow you know you have one person one body and somebody with a knife and you just try to hope for the best you know or something and and now we've developed this whole system where you put somebody that needs surgery into a room and there's like the number of people who are involved in the care for that one person makes it safer i mean like because everybody's watching out for all these like there's just you know the chart on the wall and who have you talked to last and did you get your exercise or da 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 like just everybody working together so it's systematized surgery to the point that we have better outcomes you know better care and 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 it's like more people involved in that way but in such a careful design that it makes for better results and i feel like that just reminds me of heaven um, so it's not exactly a super personal one, you know, in this moment, but I just, I just totally see that that kind those kinds of systems manifest God's love to me too. Heaven increases as the numbers increase. So it's gotta be everyone's cl- clued into the right wisdom, but the more angels you can have working on a particular problem, the better that problem can be addressed. Yeah. And I just see that in our healthcare system and, uh, or, you know, in healthcare systems in general. So that's very cool. Okay, awesome. So um, if you're listening to this, and I would love to hear how you feel God's love manifesting in your life. And so you can respond to the posts that we've made about it on Facebook or on YouTube. Um, And like I said, Instagram or Twitter, we'd love to hear other people's experiences. And so I look forward to reading any of those. This was just a great conversation, Curtis. Um, Yeah, it's fun. And so this next week, actually, uh, again, people. At first, I want to say though that if people haven't seen our John three sixteen show, you can find it on YouTube. Um, if you do like to listen, you know, you like to have us join you on your commute or um, or while you're cleaning or something, you can listen to the audio version of our videos uh, on the Swedenborg and Life channel uh, as a podcast. And um, 
And then this next week, though, is going to be a, a break week. So no new show on Monday. But we'll be back the following Monday with uh, an exciting show called A Guide to Spiritual Awakening. Oh, yeah, I could use that. Yes. <laughs> Couldn't we all? <laughs> they have a guide your to that? handy guide. Yes, yeah. your guide to spiritual awakening. And so this gives you an extra week to explore any content that you haven't had a chance to watch yet and uh, or go explore our new website, offthelefteye.com. I feel like I need um, a, a warranty for spiritual awakening. Yes. <laughs> Maybe that could be the next one. <laughs> we'll have to do a follow-up on that. That sounds good. So I'm excited about talking about that in a in a week with you, Curtis. And yeah. But so now, will you stick around uh, for, uh, join us at the end of the show for Where Was Swedenborg and What Was He Up To This Week in History? Sounds good. All right, see you then. Hey, Jonathan, welcome back. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for being here. And so I'm so curious to know what what news of the NCE for us this week. Well, there's a little puzzle that I've wrestled with um, that actually leads into an area that I'm hoping we can talk about, just not in this episode, but a couple of episodes to really explore it. Great. But to set this up, it's sort of the mystery. Last time we talked about the strange case of the disappearing magnum opus, yes. I think. But uh, I, I wanted to talk about the mystery of two promised works on the same topic in the same year. Oh. Yeah. So in an earlier podcast, we talked about that five-year gap between 1758 and 1763. That's right. When Swedenborg didn't publish anything. And then when he came back to publishing again, he did something he'd never done before, which is to put a preface to the next work, which was The Lord, as we call it in the NCE, Mm. or Doctrine of the Lord, traditionally titled. And um, for the first time in that preface, Swedenborg blesses us with a (laughs) little survey of, look, here's what I've done, here's what I'm going to do next, about his publishing program. You know, he he seldom did that. There are a couple other times (laughs) later on that he did it. I'm laughing now because you mentioned in a previous um, segment that you know, Swedenborg rarely used his turning signal. And That's now right. it sounds like maybe he's using his turning signal, but it's pointing the other way. <laughs> or which, which way is he saying he's going to go? He, he did use it once. That's right. <laughs> and so he says, some years ago, I published five small works. And he talks about heaven and hell and New Jerusalem and Last Judgment, White Horse, other planets. And then he says, now the following works are to be offered to the public at the command of the Lord who has been revealed to me. Hmm. And then he lists them. So I want to list these. There are nine works. Wow. Which is interesting because this is when his money had become much less valuable and everything. So mm. interesting that it sounds like an ambitious publishing To-do program. list, yeah. And the titles are these that he gives. Teachings for the New Jerusalem on the Lord. Teachings for the New Jerusalem on Sacred Scripture. Teachings about life for the New Jerusalem drawn from the Ten Commandments. Teachings for the New Jerusalem on faith. So there are four of them that are called teachings. Teachings. And then he has supplements on the last judgment and the spiritual world. Then angelic wisdom about divine providence, angelic wisdom about divine omnipotence, omnipresence, omniscience, infinity, and eternity. Well, <laughs> that's easy for you to say. And then angelic wisdom about divine love and wisdom, and angelic wisdom about life. Now, the huh. first 
hundred times that I read this list, it didn't strike me uh, that if you boil those titles down, because there's a lot of repetition in the titles, yep. you have four teachings for the New Jerusalem, you have four angelic wisdom, and one of huh. the four teachings is about life. Yes. And one of the angelic wisdoms is about life. Huh. And you think, wow, if paper is so expensive and your money's become next to worthless, how could he possibly <laughs> have been contemplating publishing two volumes on the same topic in the same year? Right. It's a little puzzle. That's so uh, interesting. And in just sort of digging into that little spot, it actually, this is kind of a tangent, but it reminds me of um, the great uh, Swedish copper mi- mountain, the Copperberry. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, the, as legend has it, this this boy was out with his goat, and the goat just came back with a little redness on his horn. Huh. And it turned out that little redness was a vein of copper that Sweden mined for, I don't know, something like five centuries. It, oh, they just stopped. Goodness. They came to the end of it. But it's this little thing that leads you into some massive right. underground you Pay know, attention treasure. to the redness on the goat's horn. That's right. So this is sort of an exaggerated analogy for for what I found. (laughs) But it did end up leading into a very interesting uh, bunch of research. And one of the intriguing points is that even though Swedenborg says these nine works were commanded by the Lord, two of them never got published. Yeah. And lo and behold, it's angelic wisdom about, I'll say it again, divine omnipotence, omnipresence, omniscience, infinity, and eternity— Did a little better the second time with practice. (laughs) And angelic wisdom about life. So unfortunately, we don't have that second book about life. And even people in Swedenborg's day wrote to him and said, wait, you you said, you know. Really? (laughs) Where are those books? And he said, well, I really covered that in Divine Love and Wisdom and other places. And it just would have been so lofty that it's better to sort of incorporate it into other works. Fascinating. And yeah, so like what's the difference between the angelic wisdom versus the teachings, you know? Right. And that's what I want to explore it more uh, detail later. But the the short story is that the ones that are called teachings mm-hmm. have a very heavy degree of scripture quoting. Hmm. The amount that he's quoted before this goes up over 12 times as much like which is a wow. lot you know yes. he he was already not shy about quoting scripture <laughs> and it increased more than 12 fold but with the angelic wisdom yeah. it went down less quoting of scripture hmm. in the angelic wisdom series in fact in divine love and wisdom which is the least scriptural of them uh he quotes scripture only one forty-fifth as much as he does in the Lord, even though they're both about God, two books about God, and one quotes scripture 45 times more than the other. And so the theory that that started to come to me, and in subsequent weeks I want to present some evidence about this that, that I found. You've got me on the edge of my seat. Is that the teachings... There were two different audiences. I I think there were two different audiences in mind. I think one was for Mm. the clergy who could take an astronomical amount of scripture quoting in stride, (laughs) you know. Wow. But 
the other, I think, was more for the nobility or for what were then called the philosophes, these philosophers who were not that keen on revealed religion. They were talking about natural religion, things that you could just see in nature and so on. And so I think he was uh, arguably appealing to two different audiences, and that, in the short story version, is how he could possibly contemplate publishing two works on ostensibly the same topic, at least that same word, life. The topics might have been quite different, but to use the same word in two different titles in the same year, I think he was aiming them at different audiences. That is so, so interesting. So you've got Swedenborg, potentially, I mean, diversifying his audience that to even think that way. And just from like a, the my own background, working at Off the Left Eye, creating this content, that is so, it, there is a difference between we're just going to put all this content out there, which is good, but then it seems like a next level to start getting sensitive to who are our audiences, you know, who are we delivering this content to and how can we serve those different audiences differently? So that it's just amazing to me to see a little bit of some evidence of that would suggest this happening in Swedenborg's own process with his material. That's right. I, I, I too find it very stimulating and fascinating to think about. And uh, something that he does is that in Divine Love and Wisdom, he will point you to Doctrine of the Lord. In Doctrine of the Lord, he'll, he'll point you back the other way. You know, mm. he's, he's got cross-references between them. So if you came in this door, he wants you to see the other part of the house. Yeah. If you came in that door. So he's not like he's trying to hide anything from anybody. But it's still sort of admitting that, hey, there are 12 gates to the New Jerusalem, but some <laughs> people come in this way, some come in that way, and that's, that's fine. And I, I hope to talk in another week about even vocabulary changes and, and stuff like that. That it's it's just amazing. Swedenborg's versatility as an author uh, is really astonishing to me. Wow. Well, I can't wait to hear about that. To dig into even the vocabulary differences between the different works and stuff. And so this this is just making my day. It's super great to have you here, Jonathan, to get to tell us about these new insights that you're having from your work doing the New Century Edition translation. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And I have to say, it gives me goosebumps just having the opportunity to get the word out there, just to share some of these ideas in case, that you know, it, it's not definitive or whatever, but it might suggest interesting lines of research for people or mm-hmm. just something to ponder. And um, so I really feel great to have the opportunity. All right. Well, let's do a little more research together if you'll stick around and join me for looking at where was Swedenborg and what he was up to this week in history. Oh, that's always fun. Great. Hey, Curtis and Jonathan. Hey, hey. Hey. So this week, we are going back in time to the year 1761. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the sound effects. And um, so in 1761, this week in Swedenborg's life, we have this record that is actually a number from his um, spiritual experiences. And it tells this very interesting story, which you'll hear when I read it, says it happened on the 15th day of August. So there you go. This week in 1761. Swedenborg wrote this, On the 15th day of August, 1761, 
there appeared to me at morning tide a handsome carriage, in which was a man magnificently clothed, and also soon afterwards a certain maiden, as it were a maid servant, with a very commonplace countenance, having something in her hand. It was Ulrica Eleonora in that state, unaware at the time whence and who she was. When the carriage drove past, the man invited her to come up to him into the carriage, which she was reluctant to do, but being pressed, she did it. That man was from Germany, from a certain duchy there, and had died when a boy, and, like her, had studied the word and had loved the knowledges of spiritual truth. Thus the two were conveyed through various societies, and so put on the states befitting them, and also the associate or conjugal states. Thence they were conveyed to a magnificent palace. And if you don't know who this person is either, we are talking about none other than a certain queen of Sweden. That's right. And this was the very queen, I happen to know, who ennobled Swedenborg. And she even, there's even more in, in common between her and Swedenborg because she was born a week or two before Swedenborg was. And then... And this is Swedenborg writing in 1761, but then she died in 1741, 20 years before. And then, so there's a lot of remarkable things about this passage. And one of them is that he's witnessing this marriage of the Queen of Sweden in the spiritual world. Um, And, but also there's significance to exactly why or, you know, the, how this played out in Swedenborg's own life. So Jonathan, can you say a bit about that? Sure. Um, As you say, she ennobled him. Uh, She was the sister of Charles XII, I believe, who was the king. And Swedenborg was... had quite an interesting friendship with Charles XII. They talked about math together, and Charles XII appointed him, uh, I believe, to the Board of Mines and so on. Right. Yes, we mentioned that. Yeah. And uh, Charles XII had engaged Sweden in a war and was abroad for a long time in the Great Northern War. He was all the way in Turkey at one point, and so she basically ran the country for five years before he even died. Right. Then he suddenly died in 1718, so she became the, the, the queen in charge of the whole country, and then after two years, she decided to abdicate in effect and let her husband Frederick become the king, but with this proviso that if anything happened to him, she had first right refusal, she would be back on the throne again right. in effect. And so one of the first things she did when we, she became queen was ennobled a number of families to build support for herself among the nobility, and I think it worked. She was very, very popular with the Swedish people. They They loved her. She was pious. She was wonderful. She didn't, um, I, I don't know, some of these people were pretty awful, I think, in the in the highest uh, positions, but she was, she had a tenderness, and she really, really loved her husband, Frederick, Right. and he really loved his mistress, Hedvig <laughs> Tauba. Oh my goodness. Not only that, okay, she, Frederick, kinf- he was known he was the first king in Swedish history to have an official mistress. And so not only was he just sort of doing it on the side, he gave his mistress a name, like just really not not so great 
but she really put up with it. But that it gives you a setup for why she might be marrying somebody else in the spiritual world. Yeah, I think she really continued to love him, and she tried very hard to protect him, even to the point of taking a public walk with Hedvig at some point to sort of show every, everything's okay here kind of thing. Right. But a number of times the Swedish parliament came and met with the king and tried to plead with him to give up this this affair that he was having. But he had children by Hedvig, uh, uh, I don't know, three or four Three, children, I, think. I think. Yep. Three, is that right? Yes. And and um, and so uh, this was just a very difficult situation for her. But her advisor had told her, look, as the moon sails through the sky and ignores the barking dogs below, so you just sail over this situation. Don't get all caught up in it. And, you know, and be all emotional and reactive or something. Just try to rise above it. Wow. So it's interesting to me that she dies in 1741. Hedvig dies in 1744. And Frederick dies in 1751. Yes. And there I think you had all the elements where they could start to work this out. Because <laughs> then it's it's a uh, it's ten years later after that that you have Swedenborg writing this down saying hey I saw Ulrika and she was getting together with this guy from Germany. That's right, and and not to complicate things overly, uh, but uh, there's some indication that um, this he wrote it down in August fifteenth of seventeen sixty one, but it seems to have already been the case in March of seventeen sixty. <laughs> because in my introduction to the shorter works of 1763, uh, which is yeah. <laughs> now making its way out into the world, and uh, you can consult same, uh, we find out that one of the highest members of the nobility, Count Tessin, Carl Gustav Tessin, had told his friend uh, Baron Daniel Telos uh, a bunch of things that Swedenborg had told him. And one of them was this. He says... Queen Ulrika Eleonora is doing well. She is now married to another noble gentleman hmm. and lives in a state of happiness. Huh. Uh, so I'm interested in why in August 15, 1761, Swedenborg yeah. writes this down. But at the end of Spiritual Experiences, he has a number of accounts that relate to to marriage. I think he's already starting to think about that as a topic and starting to cogitate and plan for a book on that at some point. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting that there is that uh, timeline discrepancy and and that and even I don't know when he wrote this number. It's number 6009 in Spiritual Experiences. But he says on the 15th day of August, this thing happened to me. And often in Spiritual Experiences, he's writing the very day that the thing is happening. But it might not be the case, you know, but still that it's different than the other day. It's so interesting. It does seem from the general timing there in spiritual experiences that it was somewhere around then, like it fits with the other dates that come before and after it in the text. And so something that is just sort of remarkable from a sort of a spiritual phenomenon perspective is that she, when we see her, when we meet her in this scene, you know, there's the carriage and then she's sort of standing on the side of the road or something like that. But it specifically says that she looks like a maid servant, like she's not recognizably a queen. And she, it says that she doesn't know 
from when or who she was. Like, it sounds like she was put into this state of not necessarily even remembering her earthly life, sort of an ability to free herself from from that kind of, um, you know, baggage from earthly life or something that kind of enables her to just maybe be herself and just be whoever she is apart from having to be this Swedish royal with the husband who had the mistress and all the kids and whatever, you know, so it's so, and that's, that's something that is actually also true in, in another sort of royal soulmate scenario that Swedenborg remarks on where he describes um, a Russian empress and, uh, we did a puppet show about that one time. We have a puppet show about that one. <laughs> I think and it wasn't. It wasn't computer graphics. I mean, it was, we actually had puppets in wax paper, and that's right. Puppets. I remember that. Oh, it's so great! And I'm pretty sure that appears in our five reunions in the afterlife show. Um, Go check it out. Yeah, and that, but that Russian empress also, he specifically writes it down that she loses any sense of she doesn't even know who she is. And then that's when she gets connected to this, he even says the name, Count de Lagardie, um, in in the spiritual world. So you can hear more about that there. But isn't that interesting about what well, needs I, to I love happen? That. Yeah. When you were just reading this story and it said she didn't know who she was, I just got this very clear feeling of, oh, yeah, like think about the sense of who we are that, that we all have, us regular people. Yeah, and we're just sort of experiencing life, and oh, I'm in this carriage, and I think you know, you get to a certain level of status, and you're you a little bit lose your ability to have that because you know you're somebody, right. and it's probably sort of seeped into every corner of your thought. But to get this sort of where you're just thinking about oh, here's this, here's that, I'm, and you don't have a sense of your position or or who you are, I think it's a very valuable state to get in. If she's only if it's 20 years after her death. You know, that's that still could be working out in the world of spirits and she's getting right. brought into inner and outer concerns as she's getting prepared to maybe, maybe leave the negative aspects of the monarchy behind or, or whatever she needs to to get ready for heaven in this relationship. So and there's a fun little plot thickening moment where when you're reading that account in 6027 in Spiritual Experiences, there's a footnote 24 that says, then Queen Ulrika, with her husband, came to visit them, and they, uh, the queen made a speech. Uh, in other words, they were guests at this other at wedding. At the Russian like Empress the, wedding. They yeah, get together. Right. <laughs> and where's Swedenborg? You know, like, I wonder at all, like, where is he standing? <laughs> you know, how, is, right. how is he the witness to these things? I don't know, but I just, I'm delighted by it. It's so... Well, and lest anybody fear that you don't get your royal family news in the afterlife. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he's the, he's on the scene. He's our reporter. And it is interesting that he really seems to use this, as you and I were talking about before, Chelsea, mm. as a way of drawing attention, like, wow, what's more potent than, like, gossip about the royal family yes. <laughs> or something? You know, and so to say, oh, she married somebody else, two people like Count Tessine, who knew the queen very well, knew the mistress, Hedvig, and... Uh, knew the king, you know, was totally involved, involved in the royal in court. Yeah, affairs of court. That's right. And so for him to hear, it's like he might think it's not surprising, or I'm happy for her, or, or something. Yeah. <laughs> I think know? it's an important. Um, it's important to understand that motivation because when I hear Swedenborg 
talking about the afterlife fate of nobility. Now he was a lot closer to the nobility, so it was really kind of his social circle. Yeah. But it is kind of strange. Like what you know, there's so many of us regular nondescript people out there. <laughs> why why focus on those? It's kind of like when people talk about you'll hear someone say, Well, I, I think in my previous life I was and it's always like somebody mm. that you've heard of or it's right, a civilization right. that we all know like I was an ancient Egyptian when there's been so many other civilizations <laughs> that nobody <laughs> knows about and t- why is it always these ones but if there's this function where by drawing attention to these stories Swedenborg is intentionally trying to you know get people to pay attention to the his theological writings it makes sense because it does it does function as a, these people that are celebrities are this common a focal point for a lot of people's minds. So that is a way to draw people in. I found it very useful when I was writing the introduction to the 7063s that you can Google all these people. Right. Hedwig Taub, uh, you, uh, you know, <laughs> They've Ulrika got their Eleonori. Wikipedia articles. Yeah. They do. They're on Wikipedia all over the Someone's place. Someone's got to tell yeah. them that. Yeah, right. <laughs> They've Somebody's got, no, got they, it. They can't. Yep. They, they need the spiritual having... update. Yeah. When they're, someone, so next person who has a near-death experience, go tell them. It's happening down here. <laughs> well, so this was a great uh, exploration with you, Curtis and Jonathan. Thanks so much for being here. I think we had a fun time traveling this week to 1761. It was a delight. Always fun to travel. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Inside Off the Left Eye. You can subscribe to Inside Off the Left Eye wherever you listen to podcasts. And if audio is your thing, Subscribe to the Swedenborg and Life podcast to hear our entire weekly lineup of video programs in their audio-only form. If you prefer video, subscribe to the Off the Left Eye YouTube channel, and you can explore all our content and resources at our website, offtheleftye.com. And to become part of the core group of people who sustain what we do here at Off the Left Eye, go to otle.cosvox.com to support our work with a donation. Now's a great time to give, Because from now until the end of September, all donations will go twice as far thanks to a generous $10,000 matching gift we received. But there are other ways to give, too. It's like showering us in gold and diamonds to rate us on Apple Podcasts and leave a review. And having you there listening is a real form of support in and of itself. So I mean it when I say thank you for listening. I'm Chelsea Odner, and we'll be here with you next time inside Off the Left Eye. (laughs) 